What's up, horror fans? Anchor Pete here. I know that it is late. It is Saturday night. It is almost midnight. And with the um, change in time, it's going to be like almost 1 o'clock. But you know what? I've had a crazy day. I have actually done uh, four recordings of YouTube videos today. It's crazy. It's been like a marathon. And so um, I had to do this Lovecraft Country video because we want to get that content out to you on a weekly basis. Um, I'm supposed to review episodes three and four. This is my first time watching the show. I'm a real big fan of the show so far. Um, and I, I was supposed to get out to you by Saturday morning, but it's just been like a crazy week. So here I am almost at midnight on Saturday night, and I just want to talk to you about Lovecraft Country. If by chance you were watching, please join me in the comments. I've always wanted to do one of these like kind of late night streams where you know people can pop in and pop out and tell me their thoughts. But uh, that's what I'm here for. So anyway, guys, let's talk about episodes three and four of Lovecraft Country. When we get started, I want to tell you about my introduction to Lovecraft. I've always heard of Lovecraft, you know, growing up, I've always been into, always been into science fiction and to fantasy. And so I've heard his name. Um, when I was in a bookstore, uh, when I was probably in my teenage years, I saw a collection of his short stories and it had this really awesome abstract cover. And it had pictures of stuff that just like wouldn't match up with his mythos at all just like abstract stuff that um, I think people thought, well, this looks horrific. And it just totally caught my eye. And when we do future videos of Lovecraft material, which we will, because this is Lovecraft month, I will make sure to include imagery that, from this cover that I'm talking about. Anyway, it's late. I might mess up and ramble a little bit, but you know, you're here and watching, so I appreciate you. So anyway, um, after that, I just was aware of his name and I didn't really know what his stories were about. So when I moved to Austin, Texas about 11 years ago, I needed some friends. I looked on Craigslist and I found an ad for a gaming group that was looking for another player. I responded to the ad and I showed up for their game, which instead of being Dungeons and Dragons, it was a Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. I'm really glad that I showed up because my wife was one of the players there and I met her and you know the rest is history. And uh, you can always check her out on my channel, too. I have another channel, the Anchor Pete channel, and she and I review stuff. And uh, actually, she and I actually reviewed Crouch End a couple of weeks ago, which is a Cthulhu, not Cthulhu, Lovecraft-inspired Stephen King story. So um, that video is real good, and it's got this great imagery from the episode of the uh, Crouch End episode that they had on TNT. But anyway, that's, I'm digressing. So I'm in that group with a bunch of people playing this Call of Cthulhu game. And the Call of Cthulhu game takes place in like the 1920s, right? Now, the guy that ran the group, he was real by the books in terms of what the world would be like. You know, he wanted to be very realistic on what you could do and what you couldn't do. And so that applied to if you made a female character. There were certain things that a woman could do at that time, certain things a woman couldn't do. And then if you made an African-American character, there were certain things that you could do. And there are certain things that you couldn't do. And so um, this show always reminds me of that game because I, I don't think that Matt Ruff, the guy that wrote the Lovecraft Country book, was thinking about the Cthulhu role-playing game when he wrote it. But I, I think that just by coincidence, he was able to tell a story in the Lovecraft mythos where it's like, yeah, you know what? these characters were never featured in Lovecraft stories, right? They never were the heroes in Lovecraft stories. 
African Americans never showed shine through in those stories. And if you played the game, it'd be a different experience if you play a, a African American character. But they are like first and foremost the heroes of this series. I'm sure they're the heroes of the book too. I haven't read the book. I know Danny has. But anyway, um, what I'll say about the show, because I've only watched episodes one through four, when I say that they are the heroes of the book, that's literally the case. And the heroes of the show, we're live, everybody. Um, that's literally the case. You know, um, Atticus, the main character, played by Jonathan Majors, I just love him already. Like, I, I know that Jonathan Majors is going to play uh, Kang the Conqueror in, like, upcoming Marvel movies. And I am just super excited about that because he's one of those actors that you can just tell he has something. There's a quality that he has that makes him stand out. And I'm super excited to see him in every scene in the show. And then, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Lita, she's played by uh, Journey Smollett. And Journey Smollett, I didn't even realize that my wife actually pointed out that Journey Smollett was Black Canary in that Birds of Prey movie with Harley Quinn. And uh, I actually really like that movie. I know that movie gets kind of a bad rap, but I really like that movie. And I really liked her interpretation of Black Canary. So right away, these two leads, you know, Tick and uh, Lita are just these great characters that I'm on board with. Then all of a sudden you have um, Michael K. Williams playing Montrose, who is Atticus or Tick's father. And I've been a fan of Michael K. Williams going back to The Wire when he played uh, Omar. But then besides that, you know, uh, my wife and I really love Chalky from uh, Boardwalk Empire. And then he was also in The Night Of. He's just one of those actors that HBO has that um, they just, you know, they're in so many different HBO shows. And it's just because they are fantastic. So whenever I see him, I just get real happy. You know, he's just this great actor. Um, in episodes three and four, we see more of him than we did in the first two, in particular in episode four. So uh, I'm going to make this kind of a, a quick review because, um, you know, I, I don't think that this kind of thing should go on for a long time. It's just me talking to. So um, I just want to go into episode three right now, which it episode three is, uh, I'm sorry, I gotta look at my notes. It's, I, like I said, I recorded four freaking YouTube videos before this. This is my fifth going a little batty. Uh, but episode four, three is called Holy Ghost, right? Now, it's based on a story in the book, um, Lovecraft Country, and the story is called Dreams of Witch House, right? And that's where Lita, um, she gets an inheritance that she wasn't expecting. In the show, they make it that it's from her mother. I think in the book, they make it that it's from her father. And he had some kind of uh, gambling problem, but then he won a lot of money. In the show, there's this thread going on where um, her mother just recently died and her siblings or like her half sister, Ruby in particular, are mad at her because of how she treated her mother and how she wasn't around when her mother died. So anyway, she's earned this money from her mother. She has this inheritance and she buys this house. She buys the Winthrop house, which is the middle of this white suburban neighborhood. She goes and she moves in and she brings a bunch of creative people with her, African-American creative people like artists and, you know, I guess like maybe musicians and maybe like uh, actors and stuff. And they have almost like this little commune living inside of this Winthrop house. Now it's a deal that's too good to be true. Yeah, it's in the middle of this white neighborhood. And they bring up this term pioneering, which is 
a real interesting term. I'm, I'm a thousand percent sure that exists in history, but the idea of like pioneering that now for African-Americans, they're moving out of the city, the inner city, and they're moving into a suburban neighborhood. And I think that that is kind of incredible that term even exists in the first place, but I really like that the show is referencing that term. And uh, boy, is it like pioneering, you know, when you're going out into the wilderness, because it is a dangerous situation. Lita moves into this house, the Winthrop house, with her uh, half-sister Ruby and these uh, other creative folk, and they are just harassed immediately. There is a situation where uh, this couple of white men that park their cars in front of the house, they get some bricks out, they tie their bricks to the steering wheel, and it's just holding down their horns and just blaring the siren sound constantly throughout the day, right? And that's just because they are black and they are living in this neighborhood. Pretty despicable stuff. Um, Tick shows up at one point and he mentions how when he was in Korea, fighting in the Korean War, that was a tactic they used with the enemy, where basically they would assault them with sound and with heat. And so that is what these white people do to uh, Lita and her her friends, basically. They, they like mess up the um, heater in her basement, the boiler, and you know, it just makes her house super hot. And I think like it would have been like The Shining where it would have exploded and destroyed her house too had she not fixed it. So um, Tick comes to her rescue essentially and he's sitting there and he's watching over her and watching over the house, keeping her safe and they just continue to get harassed. Well, besides this external threat from the white neighbors, there's also the problem of the fact that the house is haunted. Now it's haunted, we find out, by eight African-American ghosts. They were all people that were experimented on by the man that uh, owned the house eventually. His name was Hiram Epstein, right? And Hiram, turns out he was um, a guy that was like a pupil of um, Titus Braithwaite. <laughs> Braithwaite. So um, Titus, you know, he's the guy that is uh, Atticus is the descendant of that we've heard a lot about in the first two episodes of the show. And we know that he was the one that was running this lodge. And we know from these episodes, episodes three and four, that there are multiple lodges and that they're all groups that are trying to, like, essentially gain power. And in the case of uh, Titus's daughter, uh, who's Christina, she wants to get spells. Like, Titus wanted to get access to the Garden of Eden and um i'm sorry i am totally just messing this up it's not his daughter it's like his descendant but uh his one of his descendants um was samuel braithwaite braithwaite happens it's late at night i'm sorry samuel braithwaite is the one that's trying to get into the garden of eden and his daughter is the one that was wanting to get the spells and it's not even his daughter in the book it's like a dude and they, they totally gender swap and that's cool because the daughter is this awesome character in the show Anyway, uh, my point I'm trying to make is that um, there is like a conspiracy behind the house, right? Christina, we learned by the end of episode three, uh, she wanted Lita to inherit the house because she's basically trying to manipulate Atticus and Lita and Atticus's father, Montrose. So um, at one point, we see uh, we see ghosts throughout this whole episode. There is actually an elevator in the house, and the elevator is haunted, going up and down in its own, you know, <laughs> will basically. And um, 
some of the ghosts in this episode were actually scarier than anything that we saw in the first two episodes. In that first episode, we see some Shogoths, right? These kind of creatures that attack the cops in the first episode. That seems pretty scary, but those creatures are not as scary as the ghosts in episode three. The ghosts just look disturbing. There's one point when Lita is just like sleeping on her bed and this one female ghost comes up and you just see this like red mass where her face is and it's just real disturbing and I'm still just kind of seeing it and getting chills thinking about it right now. Um, basically what happens is Atticus and uh, Lita decide that they have to like cleanse the house and they get this like shaman woman who like sacrifices a goat right on the porch of their house. And it's kind of funny because they're in this like suburban white neighborhood where they've been harassed for so long and they, they just do this like ritual sacrifice right in the middle of the neighborhood. It's at night though, so no one's really seen it. These three guys do see it though and they break into the house, right? You have these three white guys, they got baseball bats. My wife's sitting there saying like, what are they going to do? Are they going to like just hit them with the baseball bats and kill them? And it's just like, this is the way the country was at one point. It's just like people thought they could do something like that. So the three men break into the house and Atticus is in the basement with this woman, this like shaman woman and Lita, and they're doing this ritual and all the ghosts show up, right? And all the ghosts are like real disturbing looking. There's one ghost that's like a, a large man's body. With it with an infant's head on his shoulders it's oh, so disturbing and then there's the one with the red mask and there's just people that have been just cut into and experimented on by this epstein guy and his ghost shows up too and uh basically lita and atticus are able to exercise the ghost they well they get rid of epstein's ghost and then the other ghosts i think are there kind of living peacefully so i thought that the house was going to be destroyed by the end of this episode or they were going to have to leave the house. But in the end, Lita gets to keep the house. Her sister does leave, um, but she gets to keep the house and live with her fellow kind of artistic friends and stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. So thanks for sticking with me for my review of episode three. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the pilot. Just like my wife, uh, Sherry T, she really enjoyed the pilot. Um, I don't think I've already said this at this point, but for my wife, she's been deciding, okay, well, do I want to watch the show with you? Do I not? She really dug the pilot. She did not like the second episode at all. Then the third episode came along and she liked that episode a lot. We didn't have time to watch episode four together. And when I watched episode four, I was thinking, mm, she's not going to like this. So um, I think that like one of her things, and she even said this to me, was that the show just kind of jumps with its setting. It's not in all in one place, right? If it was just in that house, she would be into it, right? Or if it was just this sort of like road trip they take in the first episode, she'd be into it. And I feel like just kind of going along with her point that um, it's not necessarily just the location that shifts so dramatically. It's the focus of every episode. You can tell that this show is based on an anthology and that the anthology um, has multiple stories and that the stories are very different because every episode feels very different. Like episode one feels very different from episode two, even though essentially they are same, they're part of the same story in the book. And then episode uh, four feels very different from everything else so far, right? So let's get into episode four real quick. Episode four is called The History of Violence, which um, I don't think that is the name of the story in the book. But um, History of Violence, just you know, a little side note, it's uh, based, that's a graphic novel called History of Violence. And then, um, what's his name? Cronenberg made a movie 
with uh, what's this Vigo Mortensen, and that's like one of my favorite movies. And I, I wonder why they were tying it to this because honestly, I don't know. Besides, like Titus Braithwaite and his legacy, I don't know why the episode is called "The History of Violence." You know, I know that there is like this overarching uh, story where something happened between Tick and a Korean woman when he was in the war. And his father does commit some violence in this episode. Spoilers. Um, so maybe that's where the history of violence comes in. But this episode is not really like the other episodes. Like, there isn't that much, like, blatant racism or racism in the form of violence in this episode. It's more like, it's more like National Treasure, this episode, episode four. Like... It's like National Treasure or, or like Indiana Jones, like in the beginning of an Indiana Jones movie where they kind of start to unravel the clues. And, and like they go to a museum, Tick, his father Montrose, uh, Lita, and then also Hippolyta and her daughter Diana. And this guy Tree, who's been around a couple of different episodes, they all get in Woody, the car, and drive to, I believe, Philadelphia. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. It was either Philadelphia or Boston major city and they go to a museum that's like the museum of natural history and they're like looking around right and uh montrose has this connection where they can get access to a part of the museum that no one else can get to and they go uh tick lita and montrose go to this other area and it's just like this big huge like elaborate not maze, but it's like some kind of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Where there's all these different like things they have to go through and these puzzles they have to solve and there's all these traps. And it's fun. It's really fun, but it feels completely different from the rest of the show, right? There's this great sequence where they have to cross over a bridge and the bridge starts to disintegrate. Meanwhile, there is like a swinging pendulum that could come hit them. And then when they get to the edge of the bridge on the other side, uh, there's a, a doors closed. So like essentially when the bridge disintegrates, they're just going to fall to their deaths. Great tense scene. I figured they were all going to live though. And once they get through all these traps and stuff, they get to this, this ship, the inside of a ship that's underwater. And there's a, a corpse that's just like on this table and it's by the scroll. Now, I should probably explain to you that they are trying to get this scroll because the scroll has the spells that are in the language of Adam right which we know that's what all of this sort of like this cult these lodges are trying to do is to get this power that is from like when man was just formed right the power of adam and and eve right and eden itself and um they want to get this scroll they go to pick it up and the corpse comes to life right and it is this this woman but it's not a woman it's a hermaphroditic creature like i say hermaphroditic creature it's when i say creature please jesus christ don't don't think i'm like saying hermaphrodite creature that's not what i'm getting at i'm saying that this is like a mystical creature because she's from some sort of like pre-human civilization right she's from like you know before time essentially or before like humanity and the civilizations that we know and she knows how to speak the language of this scroll right so they can get the spells and it's a really cool sequence when she like forms from a corpse and when she stands up and it's you know interesting to see that it's a you know she has both genders or whatever and um i wrote down her name too i'm sorry 
so late, guys, but you guys are rocking it. Um, okay, I got her name. Okay. Uh, anyway, whatever. So, so she. Oh, okay. Her name is Yahima. Yahima. Okay. Yahima um, goes with them, but of course, once she goes to leave, um, the windows start to crack and water starts to gush in, and they're all going to drown. They're able to get out of this area and go back to the museum. And they, well, I don't know if they go back to the museum. They just, they get out and then they're back like in their neighborhood. And um, when they are leaving to get out of the trap, she goes to talk and it's this high pitched scream that's just hurting everyone. And it turns out this Titus, he turned her into a siren so that whenever she would talk, it would, um, you know, essentially kill whoever was coming to get her. Right. So it's, it's real creepy. And, you know, it's, 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 he literally made her into a trap. Right. And she says that Titus made this promise that she could be with the, her people, the people that she loved when he found her. But then he took her and killed uh, all of her people. And so their corpses are just around her. So this Titus is just a real asshole. Anyway, guys. They get her back and they bring her back to the apartment uh, that Montrose lives in. I, th I think no, no, no. Duh. They bring her to Letty's house, and uh, in Letty's house, have I been saying Lita? Holy shit! I think I've been saying Lita this whole time. That's embarrassing. It is late. I'm sorry. Her name is Letty. Wow. Anyway, that's why you shouldn't do this shit live. Made four YouTube videos before this. Anyway, Letty is there. Wow, wow. Letty's there, and um, they, they, they settle her into this house. And you think, okay, she's going to join the cast. Soon as Tick and Letty leave, Montrose just comes in and just slits this woman's throat, and she dies. And so they're not going to have access to the spells. So you know that Montrose is trying to keep some of the information secret from Letty and from Tick, right? Anyway, um, that's the end of episode four, and you wonder where they're going to go next. We know that there are things building up with Christina. There's there's some kind of tension between her and Tick. You don't you don't know if there might be some kind of romantic entanglement, or if she's basically trying to like, you know, just use him for things. It certainly seems like she's trying to use him for things. And then Christina has this like blonde because they're all like the bad guys are all like blonde Aryan looking bad guys. Um, she has this servant. Uh, and his name, I should check this out. I totally broke down his name. His name is, uh, he's got like a real simple name too. It's, wow. Write down this guy's name. I'm not going to say his wrong name though. He's <laughs> not going to call him Lita. His name's, um, William, William. There we go. So William, uh, he's got like a little side plot going on. He's got something going on with Ruby, who we see in episode four. And uh, she's playing in a bar. She's playing in the bar that we see in the first episode. And he goes up to her and he kind of listens to her plights and her problems that she's having. She's been trying to work at this apartment store, department store, and she can't get the job. And he kind of says, well, you know, what would you do if you could experience what it's like to be a white person or something like that? He kind of alludes to that. And I think that's setting up the next episode where I think that Ruby is going to be able to be a, or be in the body of a white woman and just see what that feels like. I think that should be interesting, like a little body swap episode. So, um, 
<laughs> there's a scene with between Ruby and him where they they you know get it on on the steps. And, you know, it's HBO. You always have to have like one scene like that. And um, I just actually love the sister of Ruby. She is just this like strong woman, and she really wants to have more for herself in life, and she wants to work hard to get it. She has this beautiful voice. I love hearing her sing. And she is played by um, the actress that was in his house. Danny mentioned her before. Her name is uh, Wunmi Masaku. I'm, I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Wunmi Misaku. And I just had no idea whatsoever that this actress from his house was Ruby. Like, they're just so different as characters. So it just blew my mind that it was the same actress. And she just does a great job. And I think that episode five is going to be about Ruby. Like, she's going to be the main focus of episode five. So, boy, what the hell did I even say? I basically called Letty, Lita for like 20 something minutes. That's great, good job. And um, I just kind of paraphrased everything that happened in the episode. What I'll say about this show, I'll just kind of go back to what I said originally. This show, four episodes in, I really like the characters. I, I really want Atticus to succeed. I really want Letty to succeed. Um, and I'm there for them, even though they live in this despicable world where they are treated horribly because of the color of their skin. And um, it's so hard to see that kind of stuff happen, but this show just does a really great job. I kind of wish there was more of that and less of the supernatural stuff. I feel like it gets a little out of hand with the supernatural stuff, but of course it is called Lovecraft Country. So we are gonna see that aspect um, I'm, I'm totally digging the show. If you have been watching uh, Danny's review in this one, and if you're with us for our Lovecraft month on the LassoCast channel, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And uh, I promise that when I cover episodes uh, seven and eight, it won't be live and it'll be nice and edited. And I will call Letty, Letty and not Lita. Okay. So until then, I just want to say thanks for watching and we'll see you guys real soon.